When God is in it, it's not over. So the, the important truth there is His presence. And the challenge to my heart from the Lord this year is that if we will make His presence our passion, then we're going to have what we need to respond to life. We'll have what it takes to be effective, to truly succeed in a way that pleases God. This is why John wrote in chapter 15, verse 5, and if you'll turn there with me, and the words are coming on the screen, it says, Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Another version says, if we abide in the vine, if we abide in him, and he abides in us, then we will produce. The key being abiding in Christ. The presence of the Lord being our passion. Matter of fact, in the first six verses of John 15, ten different times, we are challenged to abide. So this is John writing through the inspiration of the Lord, and the context was Jesus' last days of his earthly ministry. So whatever he's saying, it's culminating. It's, it's bringing a strong conclusion to all that he has taught them. And if he is to sum it up, here's what he's saying. They're, they're moving from the, that final supper together. Because when you're from Arkansas, it's not dinner. It's supper. So... The Last Supper has occurred, and they're on their way, and they pass a vineyard, and that's where Jesus looks at those followers, and he says, I am the vine, and you are the branch, and if you abide in me, it's going to work out. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's like Jesus was saying, make my presence your passion. Aren't you glad that Christianity is more than a set of beliefs? It's a relationship. Thank God for the fundamentals. Thank God for our theology. We can't exist without the Word. But it's more than precept. Precept finds its place in my heart as power because I have a relationship with Jesus. Mark chapter 3 verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. They will go and their action would be empowered. They would have authority. There would be productive ministry. But before their action, before they're sent, they're called first and foremost to just be with Him. To abide with Him. Everything about our life should flow out of this level of relationship. In the New Testament, we learn that at salvation, we're brought into the family of God and we're raised to the level of ministry and it's even called the priesthood of all believers that we all have access to God we all have gifts and talents to be used by God and something to offer to influence the world for God we learn by studying the priesthood of the Old Testament that they wouldn't 
think of trying to go and minister to those around them until they have first placed their heart before God in worship because they knew if there was nothing of the fresh work of God happening in them, there was nothing they could do for those around them. So the emphasis was the presence of God. Abiding. Cultivating that kind of relationship. Paul, who was this this incredibly action-oriented church planter, you know, he just... He was the devil's worst nightmare in city after city. But he summed everything of his attitude up when he said, for me to live is Christ. It's all about the presence of God. He said, I so want to know him. I want to know him in in the fellowship of his resurrection. So in the greatest of life. But I so want to know him that I'll even join in the fellowship of suffering so that I can know him because his presence is everything A.W. Tozer says we are called to an everlasting occupation with God Oswald Chambers we slander God by our very eagerness to work for him without knowing him you know the purpose of the cross was to bring us to God so that the very joy of our life would be found in our relationship with Him, in our love for Him. When the Lord just branded it on my heart to make His presence my passion, He convicted me of trying to lead for Him without really loving Him at this level. And it's like his, his voice, though not audible, it's like much louder than that. When he really speaks to your heart. It's like he said to me, I didn't die on a cross so you could lead for me. I died on a cross to reconcile your sin-sick heart so that you could be in fellowship with me. So that when you lead, you're leading out of the power of that love and that relationship. He said, make my presence your passion. John, who wrote the very passage that we read today, had the longest ministry of any other disciple. He received the greatest amount of revelation. This was an awesome man. Because he abided in Christ. That's, that was the essence of who he was. So all greatness ties right back to God in his life. But history, Christian history says that some very evil people were trying to get him to, to close his message of God's love and power. And he wouldn't. And so they, they literally submerged him in a vat of boiling oil. The oil so hot, they had to stand back at a distance and take sticks and submerge him. Then they turned and dropped the sticks and said, that's it. He's finished. We won't have to tolerate him anymore. And Christian history says, he rose out of that vat of boiling oil and wiped his face and continued to speak the word of God amazing 
So they couldn't kill him. So what'd they do? They exiled him. They put him on an island that rises out of the Aegean Sea. And the only thing it was used for is to put people out there who were criminal and they let them starve to death. So that's John's reality. He's exiled. He wasn't in a worship service like what we've had today. No, he awoke on the island and he heard the moan in a minor key of people who were starving to death. And here's what the Bible says. I, John, was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. See, he had learned that abiding in Christ, Christ's presence being his passion, was everything. And out of that experience, even in that harsh reality, he gets the revelation of Jesus and talks about the one whose head and hair is white like wool and eyes like the flame of fire and voice the sound of many waters. He said, he's the one who was holding the keys of death and hell. He said, John, I'm the one who is dead, but I'm alive and alive forevermore. So write down these things that you see. And we get the book of Revelation because a man was abiding in Christ when the circumstance could have had him in any kind of attitude, but an attitude to abide, to pursue the presence of the Lord. John understood. John was a worshiper. Tozer says, we take converts and we try to make them workers. We should first make them worshipers and then the work that flows out of them will have eternity in it. He's saying... Make God's presence your passion. And then what you do flows out of that relationship. You're abiding in the vine. So whatever you do, it's empowered. And it'll be productive and you'll bear much fruit. Acts chapter 4, we read of Peter and John. They're brought into court. Why? Because in Acts chapter 3, a man who had been lame for 40 years is miraculously healed. As Peter and John were just in the routine of their day and they see this guy and they minister to this guy and what they have they give him and they gave him Jesus and Jesus was enough to heal him instantly and he went walking, leaping and praising God and the city council didn't like it so they brought Peter and John into court and these men are looking at Peter and John and here's what they say. They recognize that they had been with Jesus. Oh, for our church to glow with that kind of glory and our influence to rise out of a, a passion for his presence. This is not an opportunity that's just for a few. Like there are just some people, it just seems they're sovereignly set apart to know Christ in this way. And the rest of us, we're just never going to be at that level, maybe because of what we've done or we just list the circumstantial determinism of why we will never have that experience. And yet the whole Bible just flies in the face of that kind of thinking because person after person, God worked in them. And when they started to abide in Him, He then worked through them. And you'll find whether it's Rahab the prostitute 
or Moses who committed murder, or Jonah who ran from God, or Jeremiah who was depressed. You go one right after the other, yet they found a way to abide in Christ, had their heart revolutionized, and were mightily used of God. You come into the New Testament, there's a Samaritan woman, she's had a lot of divorces, but God changes her life. She becomes an amazing influence for God. You have Zacchaeus. I mean, the whole city hated him. He was a tax collector, and he was short. And yet God still, like, like revolutionized his life. All of the disciples, they fall asleep when Jesus needed them most. And Peter denies Jesus. And yet they all discovered this lesson that if they would abide in him, they could walk in this level of influence, this level of intimacy with Christ. Oh, that we would know that. It's just a matter of, of passion, where we place our passion. And if it's for his presence, then we'll have that kind of relationship. God forbid, but if a doctor said to Kelly and me that one of our kids had a sickness and... It was life-threatening, and unless they took a certain medicine every day, every day without fail, that it would be fatal. Then I can tell you that no matter how busy, we would make sure that that medicine was given. If we left home and forgot it one day, and we had a very, like, what seemed to us a very important and busy day, because I have a lot of days that are busy, I'm not sure they're always important, but if like you had an important busy day, and yet I, we forgot, doesn't matter how important, we would change our schedule, we'd go back, we would do whatever it took, because that is essential to life, or if that medicine doesn't abide, in our child, they won't know life. Somehow we have gotten this, this idea that the presence of the Lord is negotiable. It's not essential. It can add blessing, but it... And so, it just seems to be eked out by everything else and we miss this essential power that comes this life that we can know but only by the presence of God this is why John who wrote the vine and the branch passage then says from that island as he's getting reports from the mainland he then talks about a church that if you studied that church, there was one great like thing they were doing. It's just a list of great things that church was doing. It would have been in the top three of great churches. But then the Lord said, but there's, there's this issue. And if it's not fixed, then there's really no future. He said, you have left your first love. He's saying, my presence is no longer your passion. It's interesting how we can, we can accept success in life apart from the presence of God. 
Moses was told, you can go to the promised land, but I'm not going. And Moses, he said, Lord, if you're not going with us, then don't take us from here. He didn't want success apart from the presence of God. Let's do an evaluation and make sure we are still that dependent on the presence of God. In my context, Pastor Mark and I talked about this. We can have worship services and sermons with, without ever praying. You just work on the craft. And you can have a measure of influence... And even have some growth in areas of attendance or even the budget. But yet there's something missing. Your heart still has this misery. Because Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise again so that success could be defined as a church that has more people than it used to. Or more money than it used to. He died and rose again so we could walk in fellowship with Him. So that we could know Him and we could experience Him. The other church where He says, look, I'm standing at the door and I knock. And if you'll open the door, I'll come in and sit down with you. In other words, I'll have fellowship. That wasn't a word to sinners. That was a word to the church. That had lost their passion for His presence. And they were doing quite well in some areas too. But God was saying, you need to come back to your passion for me. Because it's the Lord that makes the difference. If God is in it, it's not over. If God is in it, it's not ending. If God is in it, there are no limits. So this, this man, John, who writes about this, just go study his, his book from which we read today. And it's like he just wanted more of Jesus. And when you study with that idea, you'll see him say in John 6, 35, that Jesus taught him, I am the bread of life. Chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. 10, verse 7. I am the gate. 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Hallelujah. Chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 14, verse 26, I am the way. Chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine. You're the branch. Abide in me. Everything will be all right. Every one of these are relational. Think about it in those terms. If there's a hunger in your heart, he's the bread. If there's darkness and confusion, he's the light. If you're needing wisdom about a direction, he's the gate. If you're feeling like you're in the valley, he's the shepherd. Here's Goodwin. I am the resurrection and the life. He who comes to me will live, watch this, even though he dies. Figure that out. You know what he's saying? Eternal life. That it's not over. The grave is not the conclusion. Absolutely not. It's a temporary holding place for the body. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There is a place called heaven. Heaven is real. It is still an incredible hope 
for the church. It's called the blessed hope because God has prepared it for every single one of us who know him. He is the resurrection and the life. You can know life now and for all eternity. And eternal life doesn't start when you die. It starts the minute you say, Jesus, become my Savior. He's the resurrection and the life. Oh, in this day of pluralism, where major media outlets and major personalities are talking about all these ways to God. Such an interesting conversation happening in our culture right now. When we just make His presence our passion. He reminds us that He's the way. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the way to the Father. There is no other way. And He resources your heart with that kind of conviction. He says, so you want to live a life that really functions, that really works. You want to make the most of your one and only life. You know it's not a dress rehearsal. You don't get a do-over. You don't get a mulligan on life. We'll never have this day again. So you want to make the most of it? Your, your, Your American mind will think about what you do. But I come to transform your mind so you know it's about who you are. And if you will abide in me, then you will have and know everything you need for whatever it is I call you to do. For I have called you to be with me. C.S. Lewis was right when he said, we've been too easily pleased. Somewhere we have formed a concept of Christ and settled with it. So few really grasp the invitation to great adventure. They try to reduce God to nothing but religion, then grow bored with the image they created. As a result, hearts become accidents waiting to happen. Or our souls were instead created to exalt and dance in holy passion. If we don't find it in the Holy One, we'll search for it amid the smoldering heaps of the unholy. And I have burned scars to prove it. And the church said, it's the truth, isn't it? We've all done it. We all have the burned scars of trying to experience life apart from Christ. And then we have that awakening. We have that defining moment, that turning point. And if we make the most of it, we realize it turns us back to Him. Everybody wants to know the will of God. When we make our will, make Him the center of our heart, the will of God then finds us. All of this anxiety in pursuing the will of God evaporates when we make the pursuit Him. Then you're walking in step, ordered steps that become your path, that become your destiny. And it's that path that's just loaded up with the activity of God and the assignments of God for you. And you walk in a discovery of God's dream for you. But you didn't start with the pursuit of the dream. You started with the pursuit of God. And as you abide in Him, then you have everything you need for the life you were created to know. Consider David. 
David is a shepherd. On occasion, he will go to get a report about how his brothers are doing in war, come back and say, Dad, here's, here's what's going on. He goes one day and he hears this, this man defying God. David says, who is that? Well, that's the champion of Gath. The champion. He's a giant. No one compares with him. No one comes close to comparing with him. He's above every other person. His name is above every other name. He's Goliath. David said, I'll fight him. The story is amazing. It's all in 1 Samuel 17. David goes to King Saul and says, I will fight him. King Saul says, this, this isn't possible for you. He says, no, King Saul, it is possible. So you see, I've been keeping my, my dad's sheep. That's my job. That's our family business. And he says, on occasion, these lions or bears will come out to attack the sheep. And it's my job, one of my assignments, is to protect the sheep. Because that's our livelihood. Now, church, I want you to see where the presence of God shows up in everyday life. He's there, and the lion comes out, and he protects the sheep by fighting the lion. The bear comes out. He protects the sheep by fighting the bear. And he says to King Saul, the same God who gave me the lion and the bear. Notice the presence of God that was active in his life was giving him a response and victory in his everyday life. He was a shepherd by trade. That was his job. And he was succeeding on his job, not by his lion-fighting skills, but by the presence of God. So then he says, the same God who gave me success by his presence over the lion and the bear is the same God that will bring this giant down. Israel, for 40 days, they have just told God how big the giant is. David is telling the giant and everybody else how big God is. For when we walk in the Spirit, when we abide in Him, we aren't walking in this fear of circumstance and we, you know, God convicted me of this, of how often I tell him in prayer how big my mountains are. And I felt him say, why don't you tell your mountains how big I am? I'll never do that unless I'm abiding in him. If I go to him in a crisis, then it's all about the mountain. And I'm throwing up a flare. Could you help me? If I'm abiding in him, I'm experiencing him. I'm, I'm getting to know him in the power of who he is. In, in fellowship, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing him even in trial and circumstance and challenge with the lions and the bears. Then when I come to the day that the giant walks out there, I'm not losing it emotionally. It's just another day. The same God who gave me the lion and the bear, will give this giant. And when, when they say, okay, you can fight him, it says he ran 
to that battle. There's no fear. There's no apprehension. All of Israel, they are hiding, fearing for their life. David is running like this is, like he's going to Disney World. Like the gate has opened. He, he is running. See, he's not allowed religion to create a concept of God of which he has grown bored and has no response to the harsh realities of life. He is experiencing the God of Scripture, God Jehovah. And he's experiencing him in everyday life. Lion, bear, he's there with me helping succeed in business. Now this is a national crisis and the same God who worked in will work now. And you know the story. That was in the Valley of Elah. And whoever wins that, that battle, it's like a geopolitical center in the Middle East. And that word's going to spread to everybody. And David's just out. It's another day. The giant comes down. He's like, he's not in covenant with God. That, that meant God's on our side. Tie it back to what we've been saying today. If God is for us. Satan is not in covenant with God. Satan will never be in covenant with God. And, and it's not this opposite equal with God. God is victor in this thing. God is the winner. So if God is for us, who can be against us? When you're abiding in Him, you're walking in that kind of assurance and you have faith to express over the challenges, the giants of your life, and you succeed by the presence of God. You can tell by, you can tell by what a person says, what they're thinking. And David has this perception of the spiritual realm. And he says, the same God. I couldn't see him, but I'm just telling you, when the lion came out, the Spirit of the Lord rose up and gave me the victory. And then a bear. And the Spirit of the Lord. And so here's this giant, and the Spirit of the Lord brought him down. In Old Testament to New, we're taught, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it is by the Spirit, saith the Lord. If we will abide in Him, make His presence our passion, He'll be bread, light, access. He will be our shepherd. He'll be empowerment. He will be influence. He will be everything. Everything. We could ever hope for or need. It'll change your life. It'll change your home. It'll change this church. When he. Is the passionate pursuit. Of our lives. Let's pray.